The second lesson and the sermon text from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. We died to sin. How can we go on living in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by this baptism into his death, so that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too would also walk in a new life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him to make our sinful body powerless, so that we would not continue to serve sin. For the person who has died has been declared free from sin, and since we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has control over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way also, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Have you ever been told, I told you so? You had a plan that you thought was going to work, and somebody warned you that's not going to work, and you went ahead with your plan anyway, and it failed. And then after the fact, the person who told you that it wasn't going to work felt the need to come back to you, and you know, usually it starts like this, right? I hate to say I told you so, but, <laughs> which of course is not true. Usually people actually really enjoy saying I told you so after they give you a warning and it goes ignored. You are about to hear an I told you so story. At least it's going to start that way. During the Lutheran Reformation, Martin Luther and his buddies proclaimed the same truth that Pastor Welch proclaimed to you a few weeks back when he was here. You remember alien righteousness that Pastor Welch taught you about? Alien righteousness, because Pastor Welch is a Lutheran too, he preached to you the same thing that Luther and his allies taught during the Reformation, and it is the precious pure gospel that God lays out for us in his word very vividly in Paul's letter to the Romans. Alien righteousness means the, the righteousness you need to be a child of God and enter the kingdom of heaven is not something that comes out from inside of you. It's not something you produce inside of yourselves, but alien righteousness comes to you from the outside. When you believe in Jesus as your Savior, his righteousness comes to you, and you have the righteousness you need in the eyes of God. That is the truth of God's word, and it was the anchor of the Lutheran Reformation. They also taught, very faithfully, what you heard last week, which is that when God calls you to faith in Jesus Christ and you receive that righteousness, you are also called at the same time to live the righteousness of your Savior Jesus. You are called to walk in his footsteps and speak the way that your Savior Jesus speaks. Now, you heard that again this morning, in the Old Testament lesson and the gospel, especially that, that aspect of, of living in harmony and living in peace with your fellow Christians. Well, <laughs> the Lutherans were warned. Their enemies warned them. 
if you tell people that first thing, if you tell people that through faith alone, in Christ alone, they are righteous in the eyes of God, they are at peace with God, and they are heaven-bound, you are going to fail horribly on that second part. Once people hear that their salvation depends on the work and effort of God and not on their own work and effort, as soon as people hear that, they're going to live like animals. <laughs> they are going to get into every kind of sexual impurity. They are going to leave their fields to the weeds while they steal from each other. Oh, and they are not going to live in harmony with each other at all. They are going to brawl. They're going to sue each other. They're going to lie to each other. They're going to cheat each other. If you tell people that they don't have to be good to get into heaven, they are going to live like the devil himself. They're going to say to themselves, oh, free forgiveness. Great. I can live however I want. And they will. You know what? They were right. They told them so, and they were right. 20 years had passed since the start of the Lutheran Reformation. For 20 years, Luther and his allies had been proclaiming to the people in Germany that they were righteous before God through faith alone in the Son of God. Pure, beautiful gospel. They had also been faithfully teaching people that they were called to live in the righteousness of Christ. To live, to speak like their Savior Jesus. And what happened? The people in Germany were using that pure gospel message as a reason to sin more and more. They were getting drunk more than ever, which was quite an accomplishment considering how much they were getting drunk before. They were brawling with each other and suing each other more and more. They were lazier than ever, skipping work. They were attending worship and the Lord's Supper less than ever. The people heard the pure gospel of Christ, and they turned it into a reason to sin more and more. They said, oh, I'm forgiven. Now I can live however I want. Apparently, this was not a new or unique challenge that the Lutherans were facing in Germany 500 years ago. In the sixth chapter of his letter to the Romans, Paul is transitioning to a new line of thought. In the first five chapters of his letter, which is roughly the first third of Paul's letter to the Romans, he lays out in very precise detail the truth to these Roman Christians that the righteousness they need in the eyes of God is theirs through faith in Christ. And because they have it, they also have joy in their hearts and they have the promise of eternal life in heaven. And now, as he transitions to the next section of his letter, Paul can already anticipate. He knows how people think. He knows that these Roman Christians are going to start thinking the same way that the Christians in Germany were thinking. Oh, look at that. Free forgiveness. Oh, this is a good deal. Well, let's see how many of the Ten Commandments I can break in the next ten minutes. People don't change a whole lot over time. The Christians in Rome in 50 AD were thinking that way. The Christians in Germany in 1540 AD were thinking that way. And sometimes... Virginian Christians in 2023 A.D. think the same way. Do you ever come up to a temptation in your life and think like this? Well, I might as well. It's already paid for, right? I'm already over the line. Might as well have one more. And you know, who really is the victim, right? Who really gets hurt if I use somebody else's Netflix password, 
and gain free content to, free access to all of this content that I didn't pay for. Do we ever excuse like prom night escapades and lies and theft by saying, ah, it's no big deal. God already paid for it. As Christians, we should look at our lives closely, examine our lives thoroughly, and see if there are any sins that we've become comfortable with, that we've just kind of fallen into a pattern of repeating. And we excuse them by saying, well, they're, they're no big deal. It's, it's just a little sin, right? It's just a little selfishness. It's just a little laziness at work. Just a little laziness with God's word and the Lord's Supper. I never physically do anything against the sixth commandment. Just dirty thoughts, dirty jokes. That, that goes, yeah, I, I lose my temper with my family, but that's just the people I love, right? At least I don't show it to the whole world. I, I keep it behind closed doors. Why do we want to think of these sins as little and insignificant? Think that they don't really matter all that much. Well, there's a lot of reasons, probably, but one of them is that somewhere inside, we figure, well, Jesus already died for them. They're paid for. It's not not that big of a deal. Now, when St. Paul was up against that attitude with the Roman Christians, he did not take that approach to sin at all. He answered it a totally different way. He started with a couple of questions. What shall we say then? Shall we keep on sinning? so that grace may increase. In other words, how are we going to answer the gospel, the good news of God? When God speaks into my ear, I freely, fully forgive your sins and give you righteousness in the work of my son Jesus. It's yours through faith alone. He says that to me. How am I going to reply? What answer am I going to give to that good news? Am I going to say, oh, okay, God, watch me sin all I want. That's not the answer that St. Paul gives to God's wonderful gospel. His answer is absolutely not. We died to sin. How can we go on living in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by this baptism into his death so that just as he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too would also walk in a new life. Where does Paul go first when he answers this question? He goes straight back to the waters of baptism because your baptism was not a symbolic exercise. It was an actual spiritual burial and resurrection. In your baptism, God worked to kill your sin. He buried it by giving you faith in Jesus and connecting you to the righteousness of your Savior. And at the very same time that God killed your sin, buried your sin, he raised you up spiritually. Just the way he raised Jesus up physically on Easter morning, he raised up your soul so that you would live a life that models your Savior Jesus. So the baptized child of God doesn't say, my sin doesn't matter. The baptized child of God does not use forgiveness as an excuse to sin more. The baptized child of God says, God's forgiveness is a reason for me never to touch sin again because God buried it in the waters of baptism. So when Paul asks the question, what shall we say then? First, he goes back to baptism, the spiritual burial and resurrection. And then Paul goes way ahead to the resurrection on the last day and the life that we will enjoy with our Savior. 
For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. And since we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he will never die again. Your faith in Jesus means that you and all Christians can look forward to a resurrection on the last day, day when you will rise and you will live in joy with your Savior and with all believers forever. Now the heart that believes that wants nothing to do with sin anymore because it understands that before Jesus rose from the dead to give you your resurrection, Jesus also had to suffer and die on the cross, the wrath of his heavenly Father toward your sin. That this is how much God hates sin, how much he detests it. That the only price high enough to pay for our sins was the sacrifice of his own son on the cross. That's how much God hates sin. And he also loves you and me so much that he actually went through with it. He actually put his own son through hell, sacrificed him on the cross for our sins. The heart that believes that never wants to touch sin again. What shall we say then? Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. Why not? First, Paul goes back to the spiritual burial and resurrection of baptism. Then he goes ahead to the resurrection on the last day. And finally, Paul focuses on the present. He reminds Christians that here and now, we have been freed from the mastery, from the slavery to sin. To your sinful nature, which even after you come to faith in Jesus, you still have this sinful nature that still hates God and wants to break his commandments, and you're stuck with it. You're not going to get rid of it completely until you reach the kingdom of heaven. But that sinful nature, Paul says here, has been crucified. It can't control you anymore. It can't force you to do anything. You're not a slave to your sinful nature anymore. Now, if you were a slave and you had a master that hated you and abused you and wanted to kill you, and then you were freed from that master. The last thing you would ever want to do is say, I'm going to go back under the control of that master that hates me and wants to kill me. You would stay away from it forever. Christians who have been freed from the slavery of their sinful nature, they use that freedom to willingly serve their loving God. We know that our old self, that's the sinful nature, was crucified with him to make our sinful body powerless so that we would not continue to serve sin. So after going back to baptism, ahead to the resurrection, and then looking at our freedom from sin in the present, Paul concludes like this. In the same way also, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now there is a word in the original language that for some reason the translator left out, and that word is must. A Christian must consider him or herself dead to sin and alive to Christ. So, if there is a sin in your life that you consider to be no big deal because, hey, Christ died for it, just doing the job to tell you that you are placing yourself in serious spiritual danger because a Christian must consider him or herself dead to sin and alive to Christ. It's the only thing that can be for a person who looks back to baptism, ahead to the resurrection, and focuses on their freedom from sin that they have in the present. So then the question is, what do you do with a Christian? 
whether it's yourself or somebody else, what do you do with a Christian who is taking that dangerous and wrong attitude towards sin? What do you think Luther did when he looked at the people in Germany abusing the, the grace of God, using it as an excuse to sin more and more? Well, first he did the wrong thing. He got really mad and he started screaming at people. If you read some of Luther's sermons about 20 years after the start of the Reformation, he was calling people names. He called one congregation a heathen horde. There was another congregation, he called them a bunch of pig dogs. That's bad. I mean, you don't want to be, one or the other is bad, but you definitely don't want to be both at the same time. And then, then he just quit. He said, you people, forget it. You want to abuse the grace of God this way, I'm done with you. And he climbed down from the pulpit and he just quit preaching. After a little while, his wife, Katie, and some of his colleagues sat him down and talked to him, kind of a Renaissance version of an intervention. And we don't know exactly what they say, but it must have been something along these lines that you don't want to scream at people. You don't want to call them names, as tempting as that might be. When they're treating the grace of God this way, what they need is to go back to the basics of God's word. And it's good to go back to the basics. No matter how much of an expert you are in something, no matter how thorough your knowledge, it's a good idea every once in a while to go back to the basics. Now, in all the years that Vince Lombardi coached the Green Bay Packers, all the years, all the championships, there was only one time that the Packers lost three games in a row. Don't worry, they still won the championship that year. Don't panic. <laughs> only one time they lost three consecutive games in all those years. And on the Tuesday morning meeting, after their third consecutive loss, Vince Lombardi got up in front of this team that had like a dozen future Hall of Famers on it, and he started by saying, gentlemen, this is a football. Everybody needs to go back to the basics once in a while. So the basic foundational teachings of God's word are the law and the gospel, and it's a good idea for a Christian to go back to those teachings every day. You go back to the law, to the commandments of God, and see where you have gone wrong in your life. And as uncomfortable as it is, listen to God tell you how much he despises your sin and his threat to punish it in anyone who is apart from Christ. And don't stop there, because if you do, you'll despair. The second foundational basic truth of God's word is the good news of our Savior Jesus, the gospel. You go, for example, to a place just like Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 11, and let the Holy Spirit take you back to the grace of your baptism, forward to the promise of your resurrection for Jesus' sake. Let him remind you of the freedom that you have been given from sin by Christ in the present. Forgiveness you need, you have. Now, happily, for the people in Germany and those of us who still benefit from reading his sermons, Luther took the advice of his wife and his friends. He got back up in the pulpit and he started all over with the basics, with the law and gospel. And that's where Christians need to go every day. To see my sin and my need for forgiveness and then to find it in God's gospel. When we do that, then, the next time temptation presents itself to you and you have to answer, what shall I say then? Shall I keep on sinning so that grace may increase? You will answer the way God wants you to. Absolutely not. Amen.